This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dancing in the Dark, The Waltz in Wonder of Quantum Metaphysics. And the author is Dr. Ronald Keast. And Dr. Ronald Keast joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ronald. Hi, Steve. Well... I don't know quite how to uh, start. We're going to talk about metaphysics. This is real simple, you know. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is reality? What are we? What's the universe made of? What is true? Right. I mean, is there such a thing as truth? I mean, this is going to be a very simple, simple conversation. <laughs> it may be simpler than you think. You never know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll discover everything. Well, you know, they talk about a theory of everything. Maybe we can come up with one, you know. <laughs> so help us understand, what is this thing called quantum metaphysics? Well, quantum mechanics is the um, the, the latest um, leading-edge um, science of uh, theoretical physicists. It's, it's the, um, the science of the, of the infinitely small um, subatomic particles. And it's um, revolutionized uh, science, and it hasn't yet revolutionized everything else. But uh, I guess since I discovered it, I have never been as fascinated by anything. Because the issues that they're being, that, that they're examining, I mean, they want to know what reality is, uh, what truth is. Reality with a capital R, truth with a capital T. And they talk about theories of everything, they talk about uh, brains, and they talk about string theory and all that sort of stuff, and it's, it, has, it has huge metaphysical, uh, because they're all metaphysical questions, so in my view, in my background is not science, it's uh, philosophy and religion. So these are, these are very profound metaphysical, even theological issues that they're looking, they don't, they don't say that, but I think they are. Uh, and so they just interested me in a way that, uh, that uh, other questions about these sorts of things haven't for years. So this is really kind of almost a promotion for people who don't know anything about this, who are not scientists. Uh, they should read a little bit because there are some fabulous scientists who are great writers and who are writing about it. And you can find out, and it's worth finding out about. So this is not going to be a scientific, or it is not a scientific book per se. I mean, it's an easy read. It is an easy read. Because it, most it, people it, would be scared by it. You well, know? <laughs> don't be. Don't be, because uh, I am not a scientist. I am not a mathematician. Um, I have, of course, uh, I've been just enthralled by the scientists. Of, and, and I've been reading books by the best scientists there are. And this is not, it reads like science fiction in some cases, but it really isn't. These are the most current, most profound theories uh, in this whole area of, of quantum mechanics. And, of course, out of quantum mechanics has come all the practical things we live with. All the digital universe is a result of quantum mechanics. So it's a very practical science. But at its base is this, this, these profound uh, philosophical questions. So as we delve deeper and deeper into the smallest, smallest elements of matter of inventions occur, but we still are trying to get to the bottom of it all. Yeah, that's what the question is. You know, what is the smallest um, element? Uh, is it an element at all? Uh, particle physics is based on, on, the, on the belief that, yes, uh, the smaller and smaller you get, then you can go almost infinitely small. There's still particles of no shape and no size, apparently, but they're really mathematical formulas, essentially. Uh, but, um, but they have order. They have order, definitely order, and uh, you know the belief is, and I think it's true, the, the, the universe is rational, and, and uh, they all have order. Uh, but the 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 quantum uh, uh, belief that the quantum theories suggest that at the most, the basic elementary, the most elementary level, there are no particles. In fact, the string theory that they don't sound like particles to me; they're filaments of energy. And this is the latest, um, uh, most provocative theory of quantum mechanics, the so-called string or superstring theory. 
and that these filaments of energy, and they're infinitely small. I mean, there's, I forget the, the, the metaphors they use, but, you know, like they're the size of an atom compared to the Milky Way or the universe. I mean, it's, these are infinitely small. Essentially, they're mathematical um, formulations, but they don't sound like particles. They sound like energy, and they, 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 they vibrate. Are they light? And, uh, well, <laughs> heaven only knows what they are. No one will ever see one. But, yeah. uh, but, but the theoretical structure is that they're filaments of energy, and they vibrate in certain ways, and out of that vibration comes the, uh, the basis elementary particles that make up what we see around us. Uh, whatever. The, this is a very, very controversial issue, even among physicists. And so it's is, really not clear to anyone. Oh, no, it's not clear to anyone. I mean, even the best physicists don't understand quantum mechanics, and I'm certain I certainly don't. <laughs> but all I'm trying to do, I guess, in this book is to introduce some of the basic issues and, and connect them, to because these issues, these questions, have been asked since the beginning of time when people could ask questions. You know, what is reality? Why is there something rather than nothing? Um, is and is there, there a God, or well, did it, all this just occur on well, its that, own? That's the issue. That's still a very controversial issue. Um, you know, is there meaning? Um, uh, the whole debate between whether the basic element is material or whether it's spiritual, that's the question of the one and the many, whether the one is material, whether the one is spiritual. This is an issue that's gone on forever, and it'll probably go on forever. Uh, and the, the, you know, the before uh, Newton... Uh, the history of religion, uh, certainly in the West, uh, they purported that the, the basis was spirit. So of the spirit came matter. With Newton, it is sort of turned around. Uh, uh, then matter seemed to be the, the parent of spirit. Well, maybe, just maybe, and again, this is, this is a speculation on my part, perhaps with quantum physics, the basis is, if the basis is energy, it's not a huge leap to say, well, maybe that could be equated to spirit, in which case the whole, the whole revolution uh, of the science that we've lived with since Newton, which is really secular truth, has been undermined by the new quantum mechanics. Because Newton believed in God. Well, he did at the beginning, but, you know, he said that he uh, uh, saw the universe as a giant clock that was kind of wound up by, uh, by God and then left to run on its own, but very, very soon afterwards there was no need for this uh, clockmaker. Though the universe was just a clock, and it just did itself, you know, it just ran by itself. Um, and everything was determined. Because I okay. guess nobody could find out when the clock was wound up. Huh? <laughs> well, that's, of course, the theory of the Big Bang, that it was wound up then, perhaps. But, again, that's, uh, even that's a controversial issue. They're talking about multiple universes. They're talking about, you know, the renewal of time and all those sorts of issues that, are, that have been, again, these are not new issues at all. It's just that they're being discussed now by, by the best scientific brains in the world. And that's, what, to me, what makes it so interesting. So there's much more beyond the five senses. Well, there's much more beyond what we see and hear and smell and taste and all of that. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the best scientists are suggesting that the, what, we, what our common sense tells us is, in fact, an illusion. Um, and that it's not real, it's not truth, it's just an illusion. And, and you know, um, one of the interesting, I guess maybe the, the kind of key aspect of quantum mechanics is that the basis... The, 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 the basis of the elementary particles, the subatomic world, the world is one of uncertainty. And we don't know, they don't know where an individual elementary particle is going or where it is at the same time. They can't tell. They have to, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a um, they just have to, they don't guess at all. I mean, it's a very, it's a very strict science, but it's, um, um, uh, they, they just don't know one and the other at the same time. And so that makes it an uncertain world. And uh, that was, it's still a huge controversial issue among the best scientists, but it's an issue that I think is interesting and worth exploring. Now, with your background uh, so focused in religious study, how does that get incorporated into your book? It really doesn't, um, other than, I mean, my, uh, my background in religious study was my, my formal academic background. Um, uh, I got my PhD in 1974, so it's a long time gone. Uh, but my interest has always been there. And so I guess what this, uh, if, you, if you want to see how it kind of connects, my, my view is that, uh, that if this new science undermines the old science as it has done, the truths of Newton were the secular truths that have built the West. These truths of science have been undermined have been totally undermined by the new quantum mechanics. 
Now these are these have been these have been taken up in the secular in the secular society as the same way as religious truths are. They're absolute truths. They've been undermined. So the secular religion has been undermined by quantum mechanics. Well, I think this has huge implications, um, you know, um, and maybe even implications that would suggest that uh, if our reason, uh, you know, if, if may, maybe the truths of this subatomic world are beyond reason, if they are, then what we're left with is faith, and we're left with faith, the faith of the scientists, and certainly science has a very profound faith. They believe the, the universe is rational. They believe that reason, and reason alone, is enough to uncover and discover truths and reality. The traditional religious background has suggested that religion, and rather reason, has to be used. Reason is a, is a paramount uh, part of, of traditional Western religion. But you'll never, through reason alone, discover what reality and truth is, because if you knew what reality and truth really is, if you knew this, this theory of everything, you'd know what God is. Because these are metaphors. God is a metaphor for reality and truth, just as reality and truth is a metaphor for God. So these are profoundly theological and religious questions, in my view, as well as scientific questions. You raise the term disinterested reason. Now, yeah. what in the world is disinterested <laughs> reason? Well, the, 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 the term is used really as the, as the reason that doesn't come out of an ideology. It's just reason in, in the pursuit of truth without having a particular ideology. I mean, the, the interested reason that, that was part of the church since Augustine, certainly since the, the, the advent of, of formal Christianity, uh, was reason, but it had an ideological base. It had a written, the written truth to the Bible and, uh, and the traditions of the church. This interested reason doesn't have that. It just has, you use your reason and, you, and, and your reason leads where it should lead. You don't have an ideology to build on. So you question and let your questions be as outrageous as possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and they're not always outrageous. You mean I said something intelligent in this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very intelligent. Of course, of course you, 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 you certainly do that. But there, there should be no stricture on your question. You should be able to question everything. And uh, science in the West has been built on that uh, belief that uh, everything's open. And they've also, of course, it's been believed that uh, by some scientists, the only truth worth using, the word truth, is if it can be verified experimentally in a laboratory. And that kind of objectivation, that kind of objective of, of verification is also been undermined by quantum mechanics because it says, at least suggests, that you cannot separate the experiment from the experimenter that somehow consciousness plays a part. And, and, of course, then speculations run rampant. You can say, well, is there any reality without consciousness? Is the moon there if nobody's here to observe it? Well, that's been also a debatable issue in philosophy, and it's now back to being at least debatable. It's certainly debatable. <laughs> that could be wrong. But on the other hand, if it's right, it really does change our appreciation of human consciousness. So for those who have never really, really thought about metaphysics and all of all of this questioning it it really is important no matter who we are to question it's, well, they, you know they, they, it's, yeah, that is a very important and most people don't yeah, I, right? I know well most people don't have time you know i mean it's uh, these are these are fundamental issues but most people are busy earning a living and raising a family and doing all the practical things that we all have to do um so this i hope i guess i really hope that this book may be a way of easing people into at least the thinking about some of these things. And if they, if they get caught up in it and are really interested, then there are fabulous writers and um, uh, people that know so much more about everything than I do um, that they can read. And uh, this may be just an introduction to some people. And you have a bibliography in your book. I do indeed. To give people... A little bit more to uh, delve into if they so choose. I hope so. I hope so. Well, Dr. Ronald, give us some concluding thoughts on why people should read your book. Well, I think, it, I hope, the book will introduce people uh, that haven't thought about some of these things and certainly haven't read what scientists are saying about these things. Um, will give them, uh, relatively, comparatively speaking, certainly an easy read. 
Um, and it's just introductory to some of these that I think are fundamentally important questions. So if people aren't afraid to question, if they don't want to question, don't read the book. Uh, but if they, if, they, if they like questioning and like thinking about these things, then by all means read the book, I hope. Well, would so, your book be threatening to people who believe in God? Oh, no, I, don't, I believe in God. So no, I hope not. I hope not. I hope it won't be. But it will be threatening to people who don't want to question about how they believe in God. Ah, um, you oh, know, yes, if, that's if, important. If, if the, yes, it is important, because the way people believe in God, or whatever metaphor we use for our belief in absolute um, certainty, absolute reality, or truth, because these are metaphors. We have a Western metaphor for God. The Eastern people have an Eastern metaphor. There's mysticism. There's all kinds of ways of looking at what this ultimate reality is. So if people don't want to question about that, then don't read the book. But if you don't mind questioning this, or if you don't mind thinking about it, you'd like to think about it, then I think this is a good read. Uh, as I say, scientists have a very fundamental, not necessarily formless fundamentalist in some ways, uh, faith in their own reason and their, their, their ability uh, through reason alone to uncover these absolute truths. I mean, read some of the current books um, uh, by some of the bio- biologists who are, you know, uh, very anti-religion. They're anti-religious. In fact, they're very profoundly religious. Their religion is just secular, that's all. So, so I think people who want the question will get a little lift out of this book, I hope. And, uh, and people who might think they want the question as a, as a first step, this might be a good step, first step for them. So they can, if people want to kind of get a quick look at see what, what the book is about, I have a website. It's uh, www.dancinginthedark, all small letters connected, dot .ca or dancinginthedark, all small letters, dot .us, dot .com. So the two websites, you can, you can go there, you can find out about the book, um, and you can actually order it uh, through that website if you want to. It's also available on Barnes & Noble websites and uh, Amazon.com and iUniverse and all the other websites. Uh, and hopefully it will be eventually. I'm not sure whether it is yet in, in the stores as well. So there's lots of places you can go and get it. Well, the big question before we leave, are we really having this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. And Did we have to, this conversation? No, we are, and I'm just about to go to have lunch after. Oh, okay. So, so <laughs> that's as real as I need to get at the moment, I think. <laughs> well, Dr. Ronald Keith, we've really enjoyed having you on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be there. Dr. Ronald Keith, he's the author of his book, Dancing in the Dark, The Waltz in Wonder of Quantum Metaphysics. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. East Texas Meals on Wheels needs your help. For the first time in 35 years, Meals on Wheels has a waiting list for meals. Currently, we serve more than 3,500 meals per day. With the help of donors and volunteers, we can eliminate the waiting list and serve more meals and ensure all who need a hot, nutritious meal are served. You can call our offices toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 to find out more about how you can help. You can also visit our website at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. Again, toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 or visit us on the web at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. After all, when a person needs a meal, they need it today, not tomorrow. Thank you for helping Meals on Wheels. Saturdays on toginap.com. It's Author Talk. Get the story behind the story on fiction and literature, graphic novels, horror, mystery and crime novels, romance, science fiction and fantasy, westerns, history, humor, inspiration, and every genre. It's all on Author Talk. You'll get to hear new authors talk about their books. Take the opportunity to hear insights on what inspired them to write it. It's called Author Talk on Toginet.com. And it's presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their book around the world. Author House has assisted more than 30,000 authors, producing over 40,000 titles. Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen, every Saturday on Toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge.
Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Other Side of the Coin, and the author is J.E.F. Sagain, and he joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jay. Hi there. Good to have you with us. Now, this is a mystery detective story. You love to write these. What, what is the motivation to write these kinds of books? Well, let's see. I'd say because I'm mostly a good fan of Murder, She Wrote, instead of a sort of uh, enjoyed the, the mystery, sort of enjoyed putting myself inside, inside of it. So uh, just uh, basically I started out just to enjoy, to, just so that I can enjoy myself. So you just in, enjoy the writing, you enjoy the uh, creation of the characters, and I often hear authors say that when they've created a character, the character seems to just start talking. <laughs> Is that what kind of, you know, the way the, you know, when you start formulating a character, especially in something like this, which obviously has all kinds of twists and turns, right? Well, if everything was simple, it wouldn't be much of a story, would it? That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. And, and in reading in just the first uh, couple chapters, uh, it keeps you wondering what's going on. Yeah, well, that's sort of a part of the mystery, isn't it? <laughs> so we talk about... What would you call a, a one-man vigilante? You might call it that. I mean, here's a man who is going to take the law in his own hands because he... Is he paid to do this? Is Jeffrey paid to uh, uh, take out criminals? Uh, really, like in this start, the way the book starts with this rapist that he, uh, he murders? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, to the... Uh Everyone else knows him as Jack. It's basically the, the nickname he has. It's a code name that he uh, has. And uh, to answer the question, uh, yeah, he is being paid, but uh, he's a detective. His job is sort of uh, to uh, try to find out who is responsible, if they, they really did it, and then he does take the law in his own hands. So Jack is, uh, in fact, uh, the police, Lieutenant Stone knows about Jack, but he doesn't know who he is? No, he doesn't. So if he knew, he'd have him on the bars, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. There wouldn't be any story either, would there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack is, you say, is part of the police force? Jack, no. Oh, okay. No, I think he hadn't confused with Lieutenant Stone there. Okay. So he just uh, has the code name as Jack and... They're aware of uh, quite a few of these kinds of uh, murders. In fact, uh, I think somewhere uh, S Lieutenant Stone says, I've tracked 16 different incidents like this. Yeah, although if you pay closer attention, you'll find out it's not always murder. He only kills when he really has to. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like so when he isn't killing, what, is, so how, what else does he do? Well, for one thing, there was this uh, one particular rapist, which was found the frozen, uh, which was found by behind police headquarters with uh, lacking in testicles. Okay, so he castrated him. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and left him alive. Yeah, well, it, it, he has to to live long enough to uh, know what pain is, wouldn't he? Well, that's for sure. <laughs> and and maybe uh, that's the way to stop. Uh, Rapes, huh? <laughs> that's the kind of justice that... Anyway, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? <laughs> my goodness, my goodness. Well, well, tell us more about Jeffrey, or as he is called by his code name, Jack. Tell us about him. Mm. Okay, he tends to have a bit of a complete biography near the end of the book, so you tend to know a little bit more about it then. I don't want to uh, reveal any kind of deep secrets. Uh, let's just say that basically he uh, sort of uh, goes and uh, does his uh, particular duties uh, during the day and during the nighttime, and uh, whenever he's not, he just goes home to take care of his four-year-old daughter. So he's a dad and, uh, and a good dad. Yeah, well, 
What can I say? Just uh, because he uh, kills people for uh, for a living doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean he's a bad father. You can you can uh, just a multitask guy. Oh, yeah, pretty much. You could say he's a jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah, and that's why they call him Jack, I guess. Huh? And one of which. So, um, now he's got a babysitter, a, a neighbor, an older woman, Mrs. Kebs. Now, what kind of a part does she play in this book? Well, basically, she uh, she's just there, like as a friend. She's she's there because uh, she sees this young this young girl who doesn't have a mother, with a father who is working all the time, and she herself she never quite got the chance to become a grandmother. And something that she kind of regrets. So as soon as she, as she comes in and needs a babysitter, she just offers herself and sort of relives the chance, well, the life she never quite had. And she likes Jeffrey. Yeah, well, who wouldn't? Well, that's right. He's a, That's the way you've created him. He's a real likable guy that has this mysterious, uh, shall oh. we call it a hobby? <laughs> I guess we could. <laughs> I guess we could. But he works during the day for a cleaning service? Uh, no, no, no. No, he, that's, uh, ju- that's just uh, one part of the way he disguised himself in one, one of his, his uh, vigilante uh, yeah. decisions, right? Right, because what he uh, actually does uh, for a living, he sort of uh, works in a bar during the nighttime. Ah. So. And uh, basically that uh, whole thing was just a way to infiltrate uh, the uh, building in the beginning of the story. Okay, so he, he just re- literally replaced somebody else. So he obviously is very, very smart in how he disguises himself. Because I noticed that uh, he also had some kind of a latex uh, facial, uh, whatever you, what would you call that? A latex uh, mask. I would call it like a sort of a latex costume, and tend okay. they're being used all the time, especially in movie props. Okay. Like whenever they're playing aliens, not always through 3D animation, they actually use a great deal of makeup and latex equipment in order to make their person look like something else. Right, and it's very human-looking. Right. So he has a gr- he has great disguises then. Exactly. And is very very careful and not leaving any fingerprints anywhere. Yeah, well, if he did, it, uh, it wouldn't exactly be uh, too uh, good for him, would it? And it would end the story right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we also have Lieutenant Stone. He is the investigation officer on all these kinds of uh, uh, killings. Well, uh, he uh, basically has been uh, on the track uh, of Jack ever since his partner died about a year ago. Oh, did, did Jack have something to do with the death of his partner? Well, it's, uh, I'm not in the liberty to say, okay. but uh, that's pretty much the idea that Lieutenant Stone is on. That's oh. pretty much what he believes, and so he's very dedicated to uh, right. tracking, him, uh, tracking him down and stopping him. Right, yeah, when you kill one of their own, obviously uh, there's, a, there's a great deal of focus on bringing justice, right? Right. At the same time, you have to accept that uh, because it was his partner, he was close to him, he spent a great deal of time with him, so it's like a part of him died on that very same day. It's always hard to lose a friend. So he's very determined. Oh, yeah. And will go to great lengths, will risk his own life? Mm. His life will be risked, yeah. Now, what about his wife, Brenda? What kind of a part does she play in all this? Well, as it turns out, Brenda, she, uh, as, the, as the story starts, she, uh, she uh, spends the time just trying to calm down her husband because obviously he's under a lot of stress. At the same time, you know, she's a teacher and, and uh, basically just starts kindergarten. As it happens, one of her students is Jenny Kelly. Uh-huh. Jenny, the little four-year-old daughter of Jeffrey. Which tends to complicate things a little bit for uh, Jeffrey. So he, like most parents, gets to know the teacher. Mm-hmm. That's what, correct. Does Brenda like Jeffrey? Or does she f- wonder about him? Well, uh, at first sight, uh, 
Jeffrey is sort of uh, oh, like he's smiling. He he sort of um, getting offers a good facade. You don't really see anything bad about him. He's like the the perfect neighbor next door. No, he's real good at that. He knows that he if you're going to live a double life, you've got to make sure you live both lives just in to their purest form, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So you've time. trained him well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not only that. Uh, because, uh, you know, despite what he does, you know, he sort of does it for a reason. But uh, part of him, when he he's out, when he's uh, doing uh, these crimes... Is still the nice guy next door. And what is the reason he does all this? What drives him? Mm. Can you share that with us, or does that give away too much? Uh, unfortunately, like uh, okay. that would give away a little bit too much. So there is something very, very uh, deep within him that drives him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. Definitely. We'll, we'll we'll leave it at that. So that'll be a. Uh, of a revelation to the reader, right? Right. All right, let's talk about uh, Lieutenant Bauer. Now, he does he work with Lieutenant Stone? She. Oh, she. Bauer's a she. Ah, I didn't know that. She. All right, Lieutenant Bauer. Tell, tell us about Lieutenant Bauer. Well, Lieutenant Bauer sort of uh, becomes um, Stone's unofficial partner. Let's say she watches uh, over him, be sure that, that he's all right, that he's not pushing too hard. Because, like I mentioned uh, before, Stone uh, sort of lost his best friend during the, the during an ordeal with what he believes is Jack's handiwork, and so uh, she wants to be sure he's all right. He's not doing anything illegal because God knows it's easy to to forget the line when situation like this happens. So, is there anything more to their relationship than just partners? Well, uh, I didn't. I guess one thing that's uh, that's not uh, really known is that uh, Bauer said it has a crush on him. But it just stops there. Well, basically, it's not uh, really written. It's just uh, something that I I just uh, know she had. Okay. Like it's just just she watches over him. She cares about him. It's uh, it's. I don't know what more I can say. Okay, that's fine. Now, now is the, the, does she play any any kind of, uh, and this probably you're not going to be able to answer, <laughs> but is she involved, does she ever get involved with Jeffrey at all along the way? Uh, let's just say that she just works <laughs> in the investigation to track him down. Okay. <laughs> There's all kinds of twists and turns in this story, Right. Right. Well, that's what makes a great mystery and detective story. So uh, everyone who enjoys these kinds of stories is really going to enjoy the other side of the coin. Now, we also have an interesting twin team, police twin team, called, and there's Johnny and Tommy March. Tell us about them. Well, Johnny and Tommy March are sort of, uh, they're also buddies of uh, Lieutenant Stone. They were there the night that uh, his partner got killed. And basically, they, uh, they also sort of uh, they also sort of uh, want to punish Jack for what he have, uh, could have done. Jack being uh, Jeffrey's code name. So they kind of uh, feel the pain that Lieutenant Stone feels. Well, they just say that they are ready to uh, turn Jack to mincemeat. <laughs> And and they're called the SWAT twins. It's, it's, it's sort of a nickname. Twin brothers went to the academy together. They sort of served together, doing the exact same thing. If it wasn't for the name tag, everybody would get them confused. A lot of stories are like this are done from the point of view of the police detective, and you've never personally seen or read about a detective working for criminals before. Now, explain that statement. Yeah, well, uh, because like I mentioned, uh, Jack is uh, pretty much also a detective. Like, he doesn't just... Oh, he does his own detective work. That's what exactly. you mean by like, that. Uh, yeah. Like, for instance, that uh, particular ra- rapist in the beginning of right. the story. Right, right. Uh, Jack sort of investigates the matter. He makes absolutely sure that the guy is guilty before doing anything. Because doing anything else just wouldn't really be the work of a vigilante. Right, so he's a self-taught uh, policeman, so to speak, quote-unquote. 
Well, uh, he's the vigilante. That's what he is. You know. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, more of a private detective than a police officer. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, basically, you got the idea. Right. Uh, any other uh, characters, or is there any kind of scene that you can share with us? And we only have about a, a minute left here uh, before we find out how to get your book. If there's not, we can, uh, you know, we can just talk about how to get your book. Do you have a website? Uh, not yet. I'm sort of working on it. Great. You know the, do you know the name of the website when you do get it finished? Uh, no, not yet. All right. But the book is presently available at chapters.ca. And where else? Well, you should be able to order it through any cold store, any uh, chapter stores. Yeah, uh, have a bit of a hard time yeah, getting in the market. And any online bookstores, you can order it through them. Mm, I would assume so. Right, and through guess, the, through of course iUniverse, you can order it from iUniverse dot com. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Unfortunately, that's what happens when it's the very first book to, to have to to work hard for it. And right now, I'm unknown. Right, and but you're also ready to release the next one, and the third one's in in the works as well. Well, the first one, uh, well, the second one, sorry, is uh, I finished the original script. It's still going to need some work before I am ready to put it out. And I am working on the third one, yes. The same characters carried through? Uh, some of them. Some of them. Some right. of them. Well, it's been great, Jay, to have you on iUniverse Radio. Nice to be there. That was J.E.F. Sagan, and he is the author of his book, The Other Side of the Coin. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on Tugginet.com. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives?, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Royal Pain, and the author is Ashley Brow, and she joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ashley. Hello. You describe this book with these kinds of words. You talk about, let's see, magic, realistic fantasy, romance, tragedy, comedy. There's all these in this fictional, magical mystery tour, I guess. <laughs> Yes. Why did you write it? Um, well, I had a daydream, honestly, and I wrote it down. I was pretending I was taking notes in class, and I realized that I had this adventure, but no beginning to it, and no idea who my characters were or what they were doing. So I figured I really had to figure out why these people got into this situation. So this was in your college class? What, an, uh, what kind of a class were you in? 
Um, I was in senior project in high school. Oh, in high school. Oh, my goodness. So it all started in high school. Yeah. Now, you have patterned some of these characters after people you know. Uh, yes, mostly the protagonist. Not, I don't know too many antagonists, but <laughs> the protagonists are, the way they communicate with each other is a lot like how my friends and I talk to each other. So one of your themes is that riches and power are nothing compared to the power of love and friendship. Yes. So we are, we're take, you, you take us back into the mid to late 1800s. Uh, where do you take us? Where, what kind of a fictional place do you take us? It's an ancient island nation that doesn't actually exist. And most of it takes place in Krista's castle. And it's an old setting before modern technology comes in. But I think it's still appeals to the modern reader. And really, uh, I guess the focused uh, reader is young adults, uh, juveniles, you know, early teens. Yeah. Even, th- even though you, th- you say that you think the adults would enjoy it too. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty easy to read, which is why I think it would work well for juveniles and young adults. There's nothing too violent or too explicit or anything, but... The content is definitely something that anybody would be able to relate to. Now we're going to, let's talk about the characters. Uh, Krista, Uh, Krista, let's see, what is her last name? Witherstone? Witherstone, She is the daughter of the king. Mm Mm-hmm. Now tell us about Krista. She's the only daughter, and so she has these responsibilities, last of the bloodline, to basically do what her parents tell her and be this sort of icon for the country. She has to follow certain rules and regulations that other people don't. And she is very bitter about it. She can be very angry. Some people might even think she's mean. But deep down, it's mostly resent for just the life that she's been given. She doesn't want the riches, or the responsibilities. She just wants to live her life with her friends. And she has some very close friends. Yes. They're called the gang? The gang, yes. <laughs> and uh, really good good friends, good people. Uh, the good people. Well, mostly the gang is all good people. They have a very small part throughout the book. But the good people are mostly Krista's grandmother, who's always on her side. Uh, Chris's best friend, Wendy, who is a farm worker, which is very good for Chris that brings her down to earth, and her boyfriend, Damon, who is a gardener on the castle ground. Now, her good friend, Wendy, is also has some special talents. Yes, she is a full-blown witch. And a good witch. A good witch, yes. So she has the powers to help Krista and, I guess, help those in, if she comes to the aid of people in need. Yes, that's mainly her job. She never abuses her power. She always tries to use it to help people. Now, Krista, because she is the daughter of the king, uh, how does her father, you know, feel about her future. Of course, she goes to this school where all the rich folks go, Silver Leaf Academy. Uh, is this in preparation for her to be married off to some other, you know, rich person, some other royalty person? Yes. Uh, as the king, he does need to make sure that his daughter makes a respectable marriage and is a proper lady. But he also has a very complicated relationship with her. Obviously, back in the time, he didn't want a daughter. He wanted a son. And um, when the queen died, and Krista looks a lot like her mother, um, her father gets very depressed, doesn't really like her to be around, which is why he sends her away. But he is also very willing to get her married as soon as possible. Get her married as soon as possible. So enters a character named Fabian. Now tell us about Fabian. Uh, Fabian is prince from overseas. 
He comes to the castle on political business. Krista believes that he's come to marry her, so she tries all she can do to impress him. But since he's not actually there for her, he's very, not rude, but just isn't very interested in her. And then when he finds out that she's been planning to try to get on his good side, he gets very angry, turns everything around on her, and convinces her father that the two of them should be married and that he's fallen deeply in love with her. And so basically it's him trying to get back at her, trick him. And why would, uh, why would he want to do that? Well, he's just not a very nice man. Ah, all right. So <clears throat> it's just out of spite, huh? Not out of love or anything else. Not out of love. He's a very angry, sort of bitter person, just flat out not what any woman would want. Now, there's her boyfriend, Damon. Now, I'm sure Damon wants to come to the rescue. Yes. He has no social power to do anything. He's not even allowed to talk to Krista. Uh, Most of the family has realized that there's some sort of relationship there. So he does have to sneak out if she ever wants to see him. But all he can do is really comfort Krista and give her advice. And what kind of advice does he give her? Um, Well, he first tells Krista that it would probably be best if the two of them were only friends. And then if she did manage to have a good relationship with her husband, that that would be best for her. Sometimes he's a little too self-sacrificing. Doesn't usually take his advice, though. So usually disregarded. Well, he understands the role that he plays, I guess. He knows that he's not royalty, and he probably doesn't stand a chance, and yet I'm sure he wants to uh, marry her someday. Of course he wants to, but he knows that he probably never could. So his main goal is to see Krista with somebody that she can at least be happy with. And what does he think about Fabian? He sees through Fabian pretty quickly. He tells Damon all about how he tricked her. And so he, again, doesn't have much power to stop the marriage, but they're all trying to plot ways of how to just get him so fed up with the castle and the family that he won't want Krista anymore. Now, what kind of a role does uh, Krista's grandfather play in your story? Well, he's a very... A small character, but he can be sort of important. He's a little bit afraid of Krista. He knows that Krista can be kind of manipulative, but he is important as it is necessary for every member of the royal family to agree on the marriage. And so he's important because Krista is trying as much as she can to get any family member to disagree with it. But he's mostly in the background. Now, you say, unlike other fantasy and love stories, you feel that this story is believable, giving it the added bonus of making the audience consider that these may have, at one point, been real people. So you're really uh, trying to, even though there's magic and fantasy in this, but really make this like uh, what real people go through. Yeah. The fantasy aspect isn't, Incredibly unbelievable. You know, it's not a Harry Potter sort of genre where it's a completely different world. It just happens to be sort of the myths and superstitions of the time, you know, like Salem witch trials, things like that, things that people did believe in. And so that aspect is very just tied in. It's not unbelievably fantastic marks of magic or anything like that. But as far as the situation goes... Um, the social classes of the time were real. Forced marriages were definitely something that could happen. And I think people could really go through the same emotions. Now, her father, the king, he threatens Damon. Yes, several times. He really just doesn't want the two of them, Kristen and Damon, to associate with each other. He doesn't want people spreading rumors about his daughter slandering the family, basically. So he does all he can to impress upon Damon that he cannot be anywhere near his daughter. Now, Krista has a temper? 
Yes, she does. Most of them have tempers. <laughs> Most of them have tempers. So uh, sometimes it's kind of like a soap opera. Yes. You could say that. There's a lot of tears, a lot of fighting, a lot of lying and backstabbing. <laughs> good stuff. Just a good old royal family squabble all the time, huh? Yes. Now, Fabian also, he has his side of him that uh, he likes to threaten people. Yes, he does. He's not very used to being thwarted. He has a very powerful family. And he knows that Krista and her two friends are trying very hard to get him out of the picture. And also that Krista's mother doesn't want the two of them to get married. So he is willing to basically knock people down like dominoes to get what he wants. And he'll do it through fear, through action, anything he can do to just get people to realize his power. Now, is there any um, any scenes of violence in your book? There is some violence. It's not very gruesome or graphic violence. I don't think there's any blood. Sounds like there ought to be a sword fight or two. Um, no, there's no sword. No sword. There's a gun. A gun's involved. Oh, guns. <laughs> a very old-fashioned gun. Okay. And there's some chains and handcuffs involved. Oh, and there's a knife. A little knife. Not a sword fight, though. Any kidnapping? Uh, in a manner of speaking. That's one of the mysteries. I don't want to reveal the secrets, but there is a form of kidnapping. And obviously some uh, magic that comes to the rescue? Uh, yes. Uh. Wendy can use her magic to do certain things that can be helpful. She can see things and sense things. And she also has this sort of natural charm around her because she knows sort of how people think. She's much more intellectual and philosophical than most of the characters. So she really understands what she's up against and knows how to target people's weaknesses. Does she have any confrontations with Fabian? Oh, yes. Oh, she yes. She gets very angry. She's probably Krista's main weapon in getting back at Fabian because she's sort of like the ultimate savior. You know, she'll sacrifice anything. She'll do everything in her power to help her best friend. And she's pretty much the person that can't do any wrong. She's the one that everybody turns to. So she doesn't allow her anger to take her to the dark side of her powers. No, she does get angry, but she won't use it in a painful way or a violent way. She does things as peacefully as possible. Ashley, how do we get your book? Uh, you can get it directly from iUniverse at iUniverse.com. You can also get it in a variety of other sites. Um, most walk-in bookstores do have it in the big database in the sky. So if you order it, they'll most likely be able to ship it in. So Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Borders, anything like that. There's a, uh, Is this the beginning of a series? I have an idea for a, but I don't have a plot yet. For a sequel. All right. Well, Ashley, it's been great to have you on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you so much. Great to talk with you. That was Ashley Brow. She is the author of her book, Royal Pain. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.